So um, I want to talk about plenty of bits and pieces here. I want to talk first off about your um, sailing. So you started as a sailor and went into rowing. Yeah, so my... Um kind of passion when I was a kid I guess was was saying I mean I did I did lots of sports like most people do at school wasn't particularly good at any of them but I played cricket football tennis tried a bit of rugby but then got snapped in half so <laughs> gave that up pretty quick but yeah sailing became my my passion really my dad my dad sailed was a keen sailor um so he kind of pushed me into it a little bit and uh yeah kind of took to it quite quickly so every weekend I'd be traveling around the country sailing and I ended up going into like the the national youth team um, and then when I finished school finished my A-levels I decided to go full-time sailing so I ended up um, being part of the British sailing team um, for 18 months or so wow okay so when when did that stop and you went into rowing instead yeah so it was kind of in the run-up to uh, 2012 so for sailing especially it's, it's well being British we've obviously got pretty strong heritage in it and the standard is ridiculously high so we had uh, a team of about eight boats training and six of them in the top 10 in the world so only one of them gets to go to the games uh, so for me I wasn't quite at the top 10 but uh, f for us it was kind of a two-man boat I had to make a decision on whether to carry on or or not uh, and we were at a world champ uh, European championship in Croatia and the guy that I was sailing with had already decided he was going to take a bit of a break from the sport. Mm. Um, and it was at that point, um, like mid-regatta, that he kind of went home and we kind of sat on the head. So I sat at an um, internet cafe in, in Croatia trying to figure out what to do. And I thought I should probably try and go and get a degree. Uh, I had some A-levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I kind of went through clearing. I was just trying to find anywhere that would take me, really. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, I ended up getting a place, the last place and the last accommodation that was pretty much available uh, at Loughborough. So that was kind of when I went went there and I thought I was going to try and do something to keep fit, to mm -hmm. stay sailing, really. Um, my dad was uh, ex, used to be a cyclist as well. So I'd done a lot of cycling as a kid. And I was thinking I'm either going to go and try to do some triathlon, uh, maybe do some cycling or sort of rowing and uh, the physiologists in sailing had always said to me oh, if you ever stop sailing you'd probably be quite a good suit to rowing and I walked into like the bazaar at uni with all the sports there and uh, I was thinking about going talk chat to the rowing guys but as soon as I walked in I was surrounded by guys who were like six foot six and they yeah. said oh you're coming rowing so yeah it wasn't until I went to uni where I started rowing really um, and uh, yeah it was it was really kind of everything fell into place and it was very fortunate that um, they kind of put together like a fast track scheme where they did trials for two weeks with about 30 guys and they took 10 guys and basically ran like as close to a like a full-time program but for novices so it meant like the progression curve was, and the learning was so quick so yeah, uh, yeah my first year was in a kind of 2009-2010 whilst at uni that's unbelievable and you won a gold medal 15 years later seven years later seven sorry seven sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my maths yeah so, so 2016 in rio yeah. in the men's eights yeah. gold medal that's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> for someone that hadn't grown up doing that i just i don't understand the the kind of curve that you go through that's crazy yeah it's it's a very physiological sport mm -hmm. um so more and more now you can see that like, if you've got the base level fitness whether it's from rowing or not i mean you get it from all sorts of different sports and i had it from basically being forced to cycle to school every day right, yeah. <laughs> so 
once you've got that and you can you've got the fitness you can you just about putting the time in yeah um, and learning to row and kind of just adapting your body to the specifics of rowing and uh it is possible and it's been shown by like, myself and a few other people that you can progress really quickly in the yeah. sport um but it just takes a certain type of individual really who's willing to just bang their head against the wall for a lot yeah. many hours on a rowing machine really it's, so tell me a little bit then about about the training time cycles that kind of thing yeah um i mean if you look at it in two ways obviously as you're learning the sport there's no way you can train on a level where you would end up kind of training for olympic games for instance mm. so um for me even though i was at university my first kind of year in the sport i was training at least once a day but if not twice sometimes um and for me that felt like quite a lot mm. but most of it is in the gym and on the rowing machine especially when you've got bigger guys um you're almost the the kind of the way to go is try to teach people how to row first and then and then make them stronger and hope that they're going to be fit enough whereas the model now looks more like you get people who are strong and fit and teach them how to row mm. um so for our training wise i mean it'd be a lot of time spent on the row machine kind of the minimum session you do would be 12k and it's just steady state um and then you obviously have intensity built into that as well but a lot of time spent in the gym and yeah. i mean the common misconception with rowing is that it's kind of upper body based yeah. but is is basically nearly all legs and i was probably this like one of the smallest guys in the eight in rio um but i was quite had pretty strong legs for my size and it kind of got me through a lot of i mean you wouldn't have said i was a rower if you'd stood me next to the other guys because i <laughs> they've got some pretty wide shoulders on them <laughs> but uh, yeah it's um it's very much a leg sport so yeah a lot of time spent doing basically anything leg related and you, yeah you just train your body to love it really yeah i mean to, for the people listening I stood next to Matt before we started doing this. And what are you, Matt? Six foot? Six five. Yeah, six so five. So it, that's saying something. Um, that's crazy. So you said to me before we went on air that you went into a, like a talent spotting scheme yeah. to get into it. Yeah. So UK Sport run this for a lot of, lot of programs where they go around schools, universities, and they run a series of tests. Um, and they'll take people from all different sports. Um, so people who have been successful, rugby players, swimmers, um, anything really, but haven't quite made it and want to try something else, they'll go through a series of tests. Um, so mine was, the, the rowing specific one was uh, the assault bike. Uh, test basically to failure right. uh, where you, they just you just have to up the cadence until you can't go any further uh, and like a push-pull test um, and based on those scores they might say okay you're perfectly suited to rowing we'll push you we'll provide you with a boat and a coach or they might say all right well your your strength scores are good but you might want to go be a, a basketball player things like that. so they can kind of filter people into different sports and uh, they do it for the winter olympics as well right. and it, it does work quite well and you, it's definitely got some results so i basically did a year with loughborough um which was run by thankfully my first year was run by a, a student coach who just had a passion for kind of personal development and wanted to be a, be a coach he's now actually a coach of the gb rowing team but oh, wow. he started out as my Loughborough coach in my first year. So he ran this talent ID type scheme, but just purely locally in, at the uni. So I did that for a year. And then based off that, I went and did the, the national one through UK Sport. 
Um, and again, I didn't hit the strength scores that they, they think they required for Rowe, but um, at the Nottingham Centre, which is where I trained, didn't have many athletes. And uh, fitness-wise, I was more than capable. Mm. And I'd had rowed for a year already, so I had a bit of background in the in the sport. And uh, yeah, it kind of gave me a shot. And it was yeah my first kind of break into realising that this is something I could probably be quite good at. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. So skipping forward then, tell me about Rio. <laughs> Rio, yeah. Um, so well, it's probably the same for a lot of Olympians. Is um, For most of the time when you're looking to Olympic Games, it just becomes another race. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, everything leading up to the final was very much kind of a bit of a blur. It was very, I was just focused on the rowing. Um, we had event, we had training camps beforehand, events beforehand, and they were just all kind of stepping stones towards towards the Olympics. Um, so thankfully, rowing kind of falls on the middle weekend of the of the games on the middle Saturday. So it meant that the first half of it was kind of I was locked away in a hotel room, very much just kind of going down, doing the training, coming back. So you don't really get to feel the like Olympic buzz as much, but rowing for the first time pretty much ever was in the center of the city right um so as soon as kind of we, we kind of cross the line you kind of get the relief of the four years of, of training and uh, and then you kind of start taking in all the all the like the olympics buzz and mm. uh, go to the olympic village and that was kind of what made it really special as well is once you've kind of done your your job essentially you get to kind of go and see the other sports and, and enjoy it but rio is as an event was just out of this world really for rowing terms it was yeah you don't get anywhere in the center of a city with that much exposure people kind of just on the edge of the lakes just public just coming standing by and we had our race course was right underneath christ the redeemer so oh. you're just tra- cru- cruising around training and you just take a second to look around and uh it's pretty spectacular yeah um but i mean for us um as the eight i guess um it'd been quite a tough year mm-hmm. so we had we were the second boat in the team so the four would be selected as the top four athletes in the gb team and the eight was the next eight best guys really but in our boat we had double olympic champions uh, from london and beijing we had bronze medalists from london silver medalists from beijing um so we had kind of a lot of super super talented guys in our boat um and in training we were really quick i mean we were doing consistently doing training pieces at world record pace and things like that but we couldn't really put it together during the year so we had a european championships where we had a photo finish for bronze and kind of that kind of threw us off a little bit at the start of the year and we ended up basically not winning a single race um throughout the season it came down to the last race and we just kind of really needed to switch on a bit more and basically what happened was every time we came to the start line people would just get far too excited and really? you just wouldn't focus on the things that you knew you were capable of doing which is in, in training we were flying because it was quite relaxed and yeah there was the pressure was off which is kind of performing under pressure is kind of what rowers kind of pride themselves on so we were kind of having a bit of a shocker really and um there's one event, the last race before we went away for our training camps to head off to Rio, where we kind of, in the heat, we got beaten by six seconds or something by the Germans. Um, that's a long time. That's a long time in rowing, right? Yeah, so. yeah kind of. Yeah, you're not really in the same race. <laughs> and um, we kind of sat down as a team and just took it right back to the basics and said, right, let's just take it one stroke at a time. Everyone knows how to do one rowing stroke as well as they can. I don't think about the next stroke or don't think too far ahead. Let's just try and execute one stroke at a time. And there's 200 strokes in a race. So, mm-hmm. um, we went down the next day and we 
kind of basically everything just slowed down. So we didn't, we came, we were in the race fighting for first. We ended up finishing second to the Germans by about half a length, but we were kind of just doing it at like cruising pace mm. to what we felt. And it was, it was kind of like really high resistance, but no kind of pace to it. And we were like, if we just come second and push these guys rowing like that, if we can do that and just put it into more of a race phase and yeah. we will be in the right sort of position come Rio. So we had six weeks after that moment to then go on training camp on our own up to altitude camp and we have yeah you're very much just you and your guys and every day you just eat sleep breathe and you're kind of on each other's feet a bit but we um that was our kind of mantra going forward for that block was just take one stroke at a time yeah and uh we turned up to the heat in rio um so we were in one heat the germans were in the other we had the dutch next to us who had won the previous regatta that everyone was at so they thought they were gonna win the olympics it was 20 years to the day basically since right. they last won. Um, and it was the heat, so it was like the first time to see where you're at based yeah. on what you'd been doing for the last six weeks, whether you were banging your head against the wall or whether you actually made some improvements. And uh, we came off the start and within about 10 strokes, we knew we had the race and we were kind of like a length up after 500 meters and then we had just cruised our way through to the finish line. So we then had to wait to basically five days until mm -hmm. our final. Um, the other guys had to race again. so ourselves and the germans who had won our heats basically had five days to kind of try and keep the focus mm. and work on the little things you don't want to change too much in that and obviously you don't want to train too hard but you've got to keep kind keep of, on top of it yeah, yeah you've got to go from being you'll be ready to race basically it's four years comes down to five and a half minutes wow. um, and yeah in the final uh everything kind of came together it was probably the easiest rowing race i've ever had really just in terms of you've got eight guy or nine people including the cox um, and everyone was on the same page. It was it was like you were rowing a boat on your own. Yeah. You didn't feel like anyone else was in the boat, but you had the momentum of, yeah, it felt like I was just surrounded by, like, horses. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, kind of, we got to halfway, and we had three-second lead wow. on everyone. And rowing is one of those sports where it's pretty unusual because you can see the people you're beating. Yes. So, obviously, in that when you're sat in the middle of the boat, obviously, you have to, get further ahead before you can see people and everyone from the stroke man to the bow man could see the people behind us so halfway it was kind of pretty amazing feeling to be that far ahead yeah uh, which is uh, yeah unheard of in kind of rowing terms bearing in mind uh the previous world championships were won by hundreds of seconds yeah yeah um and then yeah the second half of the race i was just telling myself just don't screw it up yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just, yeah, just maintain which, which never comes into your head in a rowing race because normally you're just thinking about pushing yourself to the absolute limit and i was because i trained myself to do that but i didn't have to think about it anymore i was almost you mind starts wondering and yeah. it's a little bit dangerous when that happens yeah. but but to uh, be conscious enough at that point to have the ability to be conscious of that shows how far ahead you were yeah oh, it was it was an amazing race really and uh yeah it, it was the perfect perfect race and it was the last race of the regatta so the forward won the day before um we had all the team, all our teammates were in the stands watching and everyone, yeah, everyone waits for the eight, right, eights race because it's the last one. And mm. yeah, it was pretty spectacular way to, way to end the end career and essentially ended my rowing career at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that at the time? Um, uh, I think in the lead up to Rio, you spend a lot of time on training camps and things and I was spending a lot of time with older guys who've been doing it for a long time and you start to kind of think, right, there's not long to go now and mm. people were, who had done it for three Olympics, they were saying, yeah, this is my last time I have to come to this training camp, I have to go on altitude camp. And, and they started thinking about life after sport and you do tend to 
get those feelings where you're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I just want to get to Rio and get it done and, yeah. then, and move on. Um, and I was kind of in the mindset of that. Yeah, I'd do something else. But then a lot of athletes these days, you don't really know what else to do. So I kind of left it was kind of see what happens after Rio. I finished, we finished Rio. I had a f amazing kind of th following three months or so where mm. you just kind of on the crest of a wave. And I mean, the week after I was cruising around the Olympic village and you see all these unbelievable athletes. You get to watch all the sports. I saw a lot of my sailing mates who were out there competing. So that was great for me. And then you come back and the flight back was pretty amazing Chaos as well and just the whole the whole when you come back to the uk you forget because you're in a bubble out there yeah you don't realize anyone else is watching it yeah you just really you just think oh this is kind of like a multi-sport event where there's lots of other athletes here but you don't you don't feel like the whole world's watching mm. and when you come back it was just an absolute whirlwind for for three weeks or so and going back to my hometown and things like that so during that time i was kind of just not really thinking about what was going to happen moving forward um and I had like a, a day when we were going to go back training. It was just like three months after. Um, and I hadn't really sorted anything else out. So it was kind of what I knew. So mm -hmm. I went back and did um, kind of a couple of months trying to just get him back into it. Um, spent a lot of time just seeing physios because I hadn't done any training for a while. And just yeah. everything hurt a bit more than it used to. <laughs> um, and it was just kind of over the Christmas break. We would always go on altitude camp. Uh, on the really on like the second third of January, um, and it's pretty miserable existence up there. You kind of go. We, Where'd you go? Uh, we go to three places. We go to uh, one in uh, Sierra Nevada, which is like the Spanish altitude center. So it's like an indoor center, really. And we don't do any rowing up there. It's just weight training, rowing, and uh, ergo swimming, and a bit across a bit of football every now and then. Which is rowers playing football is not not a good sight. Um, <laughs> got images of Bambi, but, like yeah, very much like that. Um, we had one. We had one year. We went up there, and we had quite a lot of athletes. Normally, it's kind of like five a side, and you just, we only do it kind of once or twice a week, maybe. Um, but we had one year. We went up there, and we had um, a physio who works uh, the Cardiff Blues. Okay. He came out with us and just was helping us out. And we played eleven a side outside, and um, it was within about. 15 minutes he said i've never seen anything like it he's taken off like three people from muscle tears <laughs> oh, he's like i don't think this I don't, I don't have this many problems in a rugby game yeah and he's just like yeah just a load of rowers running around chasing a football yeah and uh yeah it was pretty interesting to see but they are those camps you could easily spend two weeks inside you yeah. wouldn't even need to go outside it's pretty pretty tough so we have one there we have one we used to do one in south africa yeah, which oh, wow. was a cycling camp okay which was quite good uh, but again, I say cycling camp, you're still doing like 50, 60% of what you do is on the rowing machine. Yeah. So, um, and then the last one we do every year is in Austrian uh, Alps where we have a lake up there, which is kind of, it's normally protected, but we just use it. It's only open for the rowers. So we go there, stay in a hotel. And that's kind of our like finishing camp where we, we go there before the world champs or before Olympics. Uh, do two weeks there and then straight to like a warm weather two weeks afterwards so we have like a four-week block of training camps before the world champs or the olympics mm. um but yeah when i came kind of came back in, in january 2017 i was looking down the barrel of another one of these training camps and yeah. four years of what i knew was to come and i didn't kind of retire as such just when i spoke to the the head coach and said that i don't i haven't got the same motivation really i, I was struggling to kind of see how why i was doing it the reasons yeah. i was doing it for now especially in rowing where you, the olympics is the, the be all and end all of a rowing 
rowers life because there is no more after that it's not like with like cycling for instance you have a professional arm to the sport where they yeah. can go and do like i don't know road racing and you can you can make a career out of it yeah. with rowing there is the olympics and that is it and i'd kind of just i just kind of walked away with the gold medal so i wasn't really sure what i was doing so i was given the rest of the year off yeah um i didn't i did things i wasn't allowed to do like go skiing yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. for a bit um and then it kind of dawned on me that there, there was gonna have to be something after rowing so i mean the longer i was going to row for the longer i was going to put off yeah. whatever i was going to do that makes sense um so it was quite a tough time for me really trying to figure out what to do how next. old were you uh, 27. So that's a lot to consider at 27, <laughs> a, a whole new career and a change from that sort of lifestyle and whatever. It's, and you don't want to, in four year blocks, you don't want to look back at being 31 going, exactly. I couldn't do this at 35. So yeah. And uh, it was very much like that. It was like, well, what am I else? What else am I going to achieve in the mm. sport? Um, and I had guys who had three gold medals and they were saying, look, one gold medal is the same as, as three. And obviously, they've seen a lot and achieved a lot and represented their country for three Olympic Games. Mm. Um, but those guys were saying to me, like, yeah, it's, as, as brutal as it sounds, like a gold medal doesn't set you up for life, which it would do in some countries. Yes. But, I mean, in Rio, we had 76 gold medalists or something. Wow. So, yeah, to kind of build a career off, off that, yeah. you know, you're going to be... If you're in an individual sport, you've got more chance, but being... Being part of the rowing team as well, where there's the expectation to win gold medals. It's, yeah. It's, um, yeah. So we, it was a tough time. And I think I've, uh, since then, I've kind of done a few different things. And uh, the biggest thing I've learned is just how much I love being involved in, in sport. Um, so I, I went and actually got a job uh, at Rolls Royce mm. uh, as an engineer. And that was when I kind of, I, I could see myself doing that for the rest of my life. I was, there's a company like that where they, they look after you pretty well. Yeah. And I knew that if nice I, company car scheme as well. Yeah, yeah. I knew that if I'd done, if I was going to, if I just could have easily just stayed there and nothing would have changed. Um, and that's when I kind of got a phone call from one of my old sailing mates uh, to say if I fancy getting back involved in sailing. Um, and it was kind of one of those moments where I was like, uh, keep talking and we'll, yeah, we'll see yeah. what happens. And it just from there. So now I'm I'm back, kind of being an athlete again, and had to put on a bit of weight. But <laughs> yeah, apart from that, it's um, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a change over the last kind of six months or so. So, so in terms of that then, are you back in terms of trying to get into Olympic style things or different? No, so this is um, like the, profe- the world of professional sailing. So um, I'm now essentially a grinder, which mm. is not the app, but it's um, <laughs> a different thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's like an upper body. You're basically providing power to people to sail. Uh, but the boats that we're sailing in are kind of the fastest, biggest, scariest boats in the world at the moment. And uh, we've got a world series it's called sail gp so it's kind of trying to create kind of the formula one of sailing okay. and uh i'm still facing backwards though so, right. okay um, so familiar yeah familiar with that but it's just uh yeah different world so uh for me now it's kind of a bit of a change of focus from like rowing was for me all legs and i yeah. was very good at that whereas i've never naturally been an upper body based athlete but i've always been quite fit so it's kind of now I'm just trying to transfer kind of my skills over to that. So it involves a lot of times on the uh, on the arm bike, mm. which is probably better than the rowing machine, but it's still not particularly friendly. It's, no, no. <laughs> I've been trying things like Wingate tests on there. They're not fun. No, they're right, not yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how does how does a training schedule look for that, and how does day to day look for you now in terms of what you're doing? Yeah, I mean the comparison between rowing 
and the Olympics. And what I'm doing now is really, it's, I mean, it was kind of worlds apart, really. Um, now I'm kind of based at home. I can, when I'm in the UK, I can train when I want. So I'm mm-hmm. doing kind of two sessions a day. I'll do a, a weight session and a grinding session or an upper body aerobic session, like a swim or something. Um, whereas I compare that to my standard day when I was rowing, I mean, for instance, a standard week might be kind of 200 kilometers a week. Uh, we'd have three sessions a day, two days might be two sessions, but you do a weight session in the morning. You might do 16K, 20K row on the water. It takes about an hour and a half. Mm, wow. And then you might do an hour on the For row you, machine. Me a week <laughs> yeah, you might do an hour on the row machine in the evening. That was your standard day, like your bread and butter day. Yeah. So now it's kind of, because it's, I mean, I'm probably in a position where I'm quite fit and able to be able to just kind of, I'm not kind of cruising, but I'm still progressing. But yeah. in terms of the sport, I'm more than capable enough of, being asked what I'm asked, being able to do what I'm asked to do. Whereas with rowing, there is no kind of limit. You just want to, you want to be the best. Yeah. Um, I, obviously in, in the sailing world, I still want to be the best, but there's only a certain amount I can do it. If I'm capable of doing, offering as much as I can to the boat, mm. then I'm happy. So my training now is far more enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of, my sessions on the grinder are kind of short, sharp focus sessions, more power based. Yeah. Uh, whereas rowing, there's no shortcuts. You've just got to put the hours in and yeah, an hour on the row machine was a normal day for yeah. us. And yeah, you just learn to just kind of just get on with it really. If you're, if you're on the row machine for an hour, is, what's the sort of, Oh, as you said, the distance would be 15, 16K. What's the sort of split time? Because that's the thing that I would be working on, looking at. Yeah, so we did all our stuff, all our longer distance stuff is what we call steady state training. And that we use set the rate. So we do 19 strokes a minute, 18 strokes a minute. So that's our kind of, you've basically got three second strokes. So like one stroke and then three seconds on the recovery. So it's quite relaxed. Mm. Um, but for that sort of distance, we'd be doing kind of 147 splits uh, for an hour and uh, 15 strength minutes. 19 though, that's... Yeah, so it's very much like a power endurance, strength yeah. endurance sport where it's just about, it's basically like just sitting on a leg press machine yeah. and just trying to just, just churning them out. Yeah. Um, we have once a week, we had a uh, half hour test, which was a rate 20. Right. Um, but that is basically just push as hard as you can every stroke and you still get a bit of recovery. So it means you can actually do it yeah. for half an hour. And that's a pretty hard one. And for us, that's kind of like you try and do 140 for wow. for, 12, for half an hour. Um, and that was kind of the gold standard. If you could do that every yeah. week, then you would be looking pretty good. That's rough. But <laughs> yeah. And then you compare that to, we do we didn't do much intensity stuff, but mm. just by building that base and yeah. kind of working on strength in the gym, you end up with quite good power output um, rather than doing lots of like sprinty stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so when, when you're on the water in a 2,000 meter race, would you still, you wouldn't be working at 20 strokes? So, oh, no. I so mean, is there no specificity in terms of in your building, you're training up towards those 40 strokes a minute or whatever? Yeah. So all that sort of stuff we tend to do on the water. Right. So we do it. It's a very technical sport in terms of how you can control the blade and how much you can, how much you can transfer your work from the rowing machine, like that, that pure power basically mm. into the finesse and the technical side of being able to transfer it into the water and make the boat move fast. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people out there who can pull very hard on a row machine. Yes. But you try and teach them how to actually move a boat. It's, it's a very different skill. So any of our kind of high rate or 
the speed work really was always done on the water because yeah. essentially that's what we were aiming for. We wanted to go move a boat fast. We didn't want to be big and strong on the row machine yeah. really. So sense. even when we did our 2K tests, which is pretty much one of the main determining factors of who gets in a boat and selection, they use that quite a lot. Even if we were doing that, for instance, our training, like two days before where we might jump back on the ergo and do a 500 meters training piece, that would be it. That would be your preparation for right. a 2K. So you wouldn't have specific ergo focus. Mm -hmm. You'd basically just do a normal training week and then see where you're at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the 2K test is a beast in itself. You can um, imagine. You don't want to do too many of those in a year. But mm. it's a very interesting environment when you've got 24 blokes kind of lining up, ready to go and put yeah. themselves... Right, push themselves right to the limit and uh, yeah there's lots of testosterone flying around lots of nerves so lots of caffeine alpha kind of yeah, yeah I can yeah. see that definitely diff and a competitive environment and you're compete, you know take, well, trying to take a spot from somebody else that's the thing with rowing people don't people assume that you're putting crews and you're racing that boat all year round mm. but essentially for half the year you're competing against your teammates so we split off into smaller boats. So pairs, you get paired up with someone else on the other side. So you row one side or the other. And basically you spend half the year just training to make that boat go as fast as it can. And it comes down to one day and then you race against all your teammates. And after that, the coach will say, right, you guys are in a boat together. You guys are in a boat together. Right. And then from that point on, you then team up to race against the rest of the world and represent your country. Yeah. So for half the year, you're very much an individual trying to get the best out of you or your like small team, um, focusing on your own personal development and basically trying to get fit as strong as you can yeah. and try and row well. And then for the rest half the year, you're then in a boat with, with the guys you've been trying to beat, trying to represent your country and kind of try and go and win medals. So it's very much a different mindset, but because of that environment, there's just so much respect for each other. Mm. You all do the same training. And if it comes down to it and someone's beating you by 0.1 of a second on a 2K erg or on, a, on the water in a piece, there's no kind of retribution for it between mates. You just kind of suck it up and crack on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just an amazing environment to be in when it's like that. I mean, it's not always been like that in, in all sports, but even the rowing team, say for instance in London, it wasn't quite as tight knit. Yeah. But for Rio, it was just a huge amount of respect for everyone there and we were a very close group. Yeah, yeah. And how how will you compete in sailing? What's the what's the competition? Uh, so now, uh, well, in Olympic stuff or no? For you now? For now, yeah. So now um, on an event called Sail GP, which is nation on nation. So there's six boats: uh, there's a British boat, Australian boat, French boat, Japanese, Chinese, and American. Um, and basically, we're doing like a world tour, really. So it's inland so it's really close to like city or iconic cities really so we've got sydney san francisco uh new york um there's the isle of Wight and cow's week we're racing as part of that and then the last race is a winner takes all for a million dollars uh in marseille wow so it's all pretty it's it's a big operation yeah um but for us our racing is short it's like 15 minute race uh, it's all been broadcast on tv like bt sport have got the rights for it and it's kind of trying to immerse fans into like a open the world of sailing really people don't understand it and mm. it's quite hard to watch if you're not kind of know what's going on but they're yeah. trying to kind of trying to rid that and they've got lots of onboard footage lots of interviews with people on the water and trying to raise a bit of rivalry between boats and things and it is going to be well we had one race so far in sydney and there was not much wind but the boats travel 
kind of 30, 40 miles an hour in literally no wind. Wow. And it, San Fran is going to be pretty windy yeah. most days. And I think it's going to be pretty spectacular. We've got, I mean, the boats are set up to, to travel over 100 kilometers an hour. Wow. That's yeah. madness. And it's all short, sharp racing, so it's pretty action-packed. Yeah. But my job is essentially, as a, as a grinder, um, basically the, the person trimming the sail. Yeah. He can let it out as much as he wants, but obviously he needs some help putting it in. So yeah. our job is to provide the power to help move the, move the wing in. So uh, having my history as having known how to sail and competed at yeah. kind of the highest level in that, and obviously with the rowing, uh, the physiological side of it, I'm kind of pretty well set to kind of offer as much as I can to the boat so yeah it's a really great opportunity for me and something I didn't think was ever going to happen I mean mm. the America's Cup in sailing is the big the, the Olympics really after that and that's where the kind of it's a very a lot of money thrown at it and yeah. I kind of if anyone wants to get involved in sailing and want to reach the top America's Cup is, is probably it um, and I, I was kind of thinking about it a little bit whilst I was coming towards the end of my rowing career like could I go into that and I kind of thought well, pardon the pun that that, that ship had sailed I yeah, thought yeah I thought that potentially I wasn't going to get the opportunity. So to get the opportunity to do this, which is slightly different, but very new and exciting. And um, yeah, again, representing your country. Yeah. And we are, there's five of us on the boat at a time with a big union jack on our sail. And yeah. it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. So yeah, I'm really excited to get involved in that. And in terms of, of that then, that's, you were telling me before that now is your job. So you yeah. don't have to worry about other stuff as such anymore, which is good. And I, I suppose that's a bit of a difference in terms of, um, especially, I guess, uh, rowing in the Olympics or for GB is it's a, a sponsorship that you then have to look at how you're spending funding and whatever. And this is, you're getting yeah. paid for to do. Which I is, mean, the national lottery is amazing yeah. in terms of it gives athletes the ability to train full time. Um, and that's kind of why we've seen such massive improvements in where Great Britain sits on the on the Olympic mm. medal table is because of lottery funding, really. Um, but that is all performance based as well. You've obviously got there's not that security of knowing that oh yeah, I'm going to earn this amount of money for this amount of years. You don't yeah. really know what's going to happen with that, and you have one bad World Championships and you you could be out the back door again. And it's quite a hard way to live your life, really. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you do get looked after based on your performance if you if you if you win a gold medal you you'll be you'll be fine but if you don't then you don't know what's going to happen and obviously it it has everything's got an end point so of course at some point it will come to an end whereas the sailing world yeah i mean it's just lots of money involved in it and it's it's a very different world and it's professional sport um but also with rowing you're expected to give everything to that to that olympic program whereas I, I still have the same mindset because of what I've, what I've achieved in rowing and what I know I can, my body can do. I can push myself quite hard even without being surrounded by your mates trying to beat you every day. Yeah. But you've got that time to kind of do other things as well, which is, which is great for me. So when I'm out of the country, I'm working, I'm sailing. But when I'm in the country, I be at home and just do things I enjoy, which, which happens to be the same as saying, so keeping fit and yeah. yeah, I'm just chatting to people and getting, staying involved in sport really. And, and how will your training look now? I know obviously you've got obviously a lot of time on a handbike and so yeah, on, yeah. but how, how will you set it up? Do you do other stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, for, well, for me at the moment, I'm trying to put weight on mm-hmm. um, for the sailing because essentially I need to be about 105 kilos or something. Um, so even when I was my heaviest in rowing, I was about 96. Right. Uh, I raced in Rio at 92. So it's a big, big jump for me, but kind of, again, there. so... I mean, I used to do a lot of cycling and 
tried to do a bit of triathlon stuff, but for, at the moment I can't really do any of that. Just that 105 just, kilos either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to see me running any of that. Sure. <laughs> so I'm just kind of, yeah, just a lot of weights and a lot of kind of I do a lot of overgear training on the like, just kind of strength work okay. whilst integrating the, the grinder. But when we go out to events, I mean, these boats are 50 foot long and they come in containers and you spend like two weeks just getting the boat together wow. tent. so the actual training time on the water is quite limited yeah um, um we've got guys on our boat who are also doing an olympic campaign so once they kind of fly in we get everyone together then we have a real focus of maybe a week if we can it's going to vary throughout the different events but the most important thing for us in the sailing now is just time on the water yeah and actually spending time together as a group um so i can focus on all my personal stuff quite well at home but unless you can integrate it into the actual boat and delivering on the on on the water then it's kind of a waste of time so we have to spend try and get as much time together as possible yeah which is quite tough when you've got guys doing all sorts and also we only have limited access to the boats because most of the time they're in containers yeah being shipped around so i suppose you probably have limited access to the water as well if you just rock up to yeah. sydney and start saying we're going to start sailing so oh no i mean the operation is absolutely huge yeah. they, they, there's only i think there's only sydney and, and san fran where we've actually got a block of training we can do the rest right. of them are just you rock up and then you've got two days and then it's race day wow so um yeah it's very it's very well organized and it has to be because these it's a huge operation i mean these boats are something else mm. i mean my what i left the sailing world when i was doing olympic stuff and now what i've returned to i mean the boats have just moved on so far i mean they've all got like computer systems on board it's just they're like million million dollar boats that's amazing it's ridiculous that's unbelievable and and i, I want to ask you as well about nutritionally like what do you do in terms of that have you are you um, are you having to obviously put weight on now? You're having to think about high calorie intake and all that kind of stuff. Or how how do you structure that? Yeah. Um, so when I was rowing, it was basically I couldn't eat enough. Mm -hmm. um, so we're having kind of six thousand calories a day. Wow. Um, but it was one of those things that you sometimes when you're trying to eat, you kind of feel like you're forcing yourself to eat. Yeah. And it doesn't feel very comfortable. But with rowing, because we're doing so much training, you are always hungry. Yeah. So, I mean eating wise so you wouldn't go more than two hours without eating like a meal or something wow yeah just because you just finish the session eat drink and just you basically some people more than others but it was just basically about managing your weight yeah if you if you, if you started losing weight you're in a lot of trouble right um but, but it's also very hard to put on weight in the program because you're doing so much mileage so, yeah so with rowing it was just basically eat as much and i was quite fortunate that so I went away for Christmas and people kind of have a bit too much. Some people come back and they're like five kilos heavier. Whereas for me, I just really, really struggled to put on weight. Yeah. Um, so when I was told for the same, I needed to be a bit heavier, actually coincided with me whilst I was still working. So I was working at Rolls Royce, working a nine to five kind of job. And I actually found it easier to do. It's the first time I've actually had to try and put on like a substantial amount of weight. And um, because I was kind of sat at a desk, so I basically just get up in the morning have like a, a porridge before I went to the gym, do a gym, have a shake and a protein bar in the, in the car on the way to work, go to work, have kind of like bacon eggs. And I'd just structure it throughout the day where I'd have snacks. And yeah. it's quite, I found it quite easy to do. Simple in a nine to five, when I guess. When you're yeah. at a desk, I find it was quite easy. But then since then, having now stopped that and now when you kind of don't, you're not in one place all the time and you're moving around, going to gym and 
I find it quite difficult actually to kind of make sure I eat enough. So I've been kind of like main, maintaining it like 102 probably quite People easily. hate you right now. You know that, do you? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's bad. <laughs> I'm very lucky, but it's. Um, I do find it quite hard actually to put on weight. And yeah. I really have to... When I, so when I was working, it was quite. I did it quite quick. Yeah. Um, put on kind of like ten. I put on ten kilos in a month. Oh wow. Yeah, or eight kilos in a month. Yeah, and that was that was pretty good. But I mean, now I'm because that was with no CV whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Basically, I was just doing two set, two weight sessions a day, um, and kind of just alternating between like muscle groups and just really focusing. It was kind of very much like your yeah. bodybuilder body style, style stuff. of training, which um, seemed to work quite well. I'd never really done before. Yeah. Um, so that kind of worked really well. Whereas now I'm still doing a bit of CV in the, in the grinding stuff. I just end up plateauing quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going into a new block now and my aim is to just, yeah, get back on the, on the ETA. And a lot of it's just, yeah, trying to not do too many carbs really yeah. and just go high on the protein and yeah it's just about for me it's just the amount you can get in mm. um, and how long is the average race for you now uh it's 15 minutes is that yeah. that's all it is yeah wow. so we have three races a day um but they're quite close together but yeah the the actual work i'm doing isn't prolonged 15 minutes of like steady state it's yeah. very much peaks and troughs yeah. so it's very high power high intensity for maybe 30 seconds mm-hmm. And then you come back down to like a low level turnover or there'll just be like a, a period of kind of 30 seconds flat out. Then you have to leg it across the boat, get back on 30 seconds flat out. Yeah. And it's just one of those things when you have to change direction as well. So you've got to push pull. That's what I was going to ask. It's not just finding the right angle yeah. and going in a straight line. It's different. Yeah. I mean, you're racing because we're racing in such small areas like in Sydney Harbour or like New York, for instance, will be on the Hudson River, which is tiny. Yeah. So the, you're always on the move, and it's fairly intense for the time when you're racing. So, yeah, a lot of it's just going to be a power work and sprint work for me because I know I've got the base level fitness. Yeah. I, can, I know I can sit there and cruise, and my heart rate would be like 160, and I can do that for hours and hours. However long you need. So I just need to work, for me personally, work on the, the power end, that top end, which is all strength-based. Really. Yeah. And is and what's the seasons? Is it is it it is constant or um, is it? So this is the first year it's running. Um, yeah. So this year we've got five events. Um, we've got Sydney, yeah, Sydney, San Fran, New York, UK, and then Marseille. And it started in January, right? Uh, February. February was the first race in Sydney, and the last one is in September. So, okay. Uh, and then the off period in the winter, we will do a bit of training, and they develop the boats. They're constantly evolving. Yeah. They're bringing in new equipment kind of making them go faster and yeah. making them easier to sail. So we always kind of have to go and do a little bit of training in the winter. But next year they're planning on adding more events right. and more boats. So it'll be pretty full on next year, I reckon. That's a, that's a lovely life though. You think five races in seven yeah. months or whatever. So yeah. every six weeks, you know, you're going somewhere nice. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, great. somewhere different. You get to see a bit of the world. Yeah. And, and unlike rowing, when you went somewhere, you wouldn't see anything but the inside of a hotel room yeah. at a rowing lake. And that was basically it. Um, so even though you went to all these quite cool places, when you're an Olympic athlete, you just you just have no time to do anything. Yeah. Whereas now, because I'm I'm involved in the more behind the scenes as well, mm-hmm. so kind of the setup, the boat building, boat management side of it, um, just spending time getting the boat ready, you do have a bit more time to go and see see lads. Yeah. And obviously, you've got we've got quite a big team of guys who are there just just to make sure the boat's ready to go. Um, and it's just a bit more, it's just so much more sociable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they'll go out for a beer in the evening and go and chill out. And it's not going to, 
of patch your training yeah. or your racing and stuff like that. And essentially, we go to these places for like a month, six weeks, and you only do two days of racing, which That's is amazing. Which yeah. is ridiculous. That's amazing. And if you're not doing huge amounts of training when you're there, you're getting quite a lot of time to be a bit of a tourist as well. Which is a little great. bit, yeah. I mean, it's not as much as some people might think. Again, yeah. I mean, for Sydney, we were there for six weeks and we had three days off, is like that properly all? off. Wow. But you are still staying in a city, like. Yeah. During the evenings, you can go and have a look around. See Sydney's such a great place. I, yeah, I love Sydney. I could easily live there. Yeah. <laughs> For fitness and health lifestyle, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely perfect. But you just see it, people walking around. Everyone's fairly active. Yeah. Um, it's just sun shining. You're not having to put six layers of clothes on to yeah, go, yeah. go to work and things <laughs> yeah. like that. And just surrounded by water, like yeah. everyone's just active. And uh, yeah, it was amazing to be spending, you had to spend six weeks there as well. Mm. It, was, it was pretty cool. So, the other question I have then, if it's like similar to um, the, for, so the Formula One of, of sailing, yep. but Formula One would have a McLaren and a Mercedes team or whatever, yep. Ferrari or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a Great Britain team. Yep. Who funds that? So, this, the, the, the best thing about this is, unlike other sports like that or the America's Cup, where it's a bit of an arms race, it's yeah. basically who can spend the much money. Yes. The, every team, so for the next three years, it's been funded by uh, a guy called Larry Ellison, who owns Oracle Software Group, and he's basically... A San Francisco guy, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's basically um, self-funded the whole thing. So each boat is exactly the same. It's all about the sailors in the boats. Yeah. Um, so he, he funds the individual teams, um, it's all everyone's got the same budget and it's basically you can jump up individual sponsors and the idea is that after three years it becomes self-sufficient and see. you will then run needed input and you have the sponsors to run it but essentially the boats will always be exactly the same yeah so whatever happens with this if there's updates and stuff like that it will happen across the fleet so it's all about the people in the boats yeah. not necessarily the boats themselves so yeah it's different in terms of what it's trying to achieve in other sailing events but that's why that's why it's so good you've got six yeah. boats all exactly the same all racing on a course and it's yeah it's, it's good about who's the best sailors yeah it's great exactly exactly yeah. so it's kind of trying to keep true to that and yeah. um yeah so the great britain team at the moment i mean no one's really got any sponsors or anything so it's very much you'll see these boats and it's great britain australia that's yeah. it there's and no kind of, yeah just flags on them at the moment yeah. so they look like toy boats but yeah just massive <laughs> how but, big are they uh, they're 50 foot long wow. and about kind of 20, 30 foot wide. Um, so they're catamarans and they, it basically works like a, like a, uh, airplane wing. Yeah. So once you get enough speed, the, they have foils under the boat, which then offer lift. So the boats come out the water. Yeah. And then basically the faster you go, the more lift you get. So they basically just fly above the water the whole time wow. and you just get less and less friction up there. So yeah, I mean, it's amazing to think that you can go kind of th- three four five times the speed of the wind yeah so no matter how windy it is just the boats yeah they're capable of hitting some serious i mean you've got motor boats with like 300 horsepower engines on the back of them and they can't keep up that's uh, insane so yeah we can hit 50 miles 50 knots is the new for us is the sailing speak of speed and that's equivalent of about 60 miles an hour that's incredible yeah wow uh yeah and they're not small boats no so so, yeah it makes when you see when you see me i I look quite small on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mad. That's crazy. Um, listen, Matt, thank you for coming in and taking the oh, time for cool. us. I really do appreciate it. Um, any final words for people looking to get into into any of these sorts of sports? Yeah, I mean, rowing is probably one of those sports which is now, well, both sports as well, sailing and, and rowing, has got a bit of that elitism history to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I came from a state school in, the, in Gloucestershire and it's one of those things that 
there is a stigma to it, mm. but it's becoming more and more accessible. And I think most rowing clubs now will accept anyone with, with open arms. And the indoor rowing world is is getting quite big. Yeah. Um, so if it's something you're really interested in, spend a bit of time on the rowing machine. Yeah. And make sure you're still interested in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, Try a 2,000 meter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just go down to a club. I mean, they're really sociable. The same with, with sailing. I mean, I learned to sail in... in Gloucester, which is like about as far away from water as you can get, mm. and there's a lot of little lakes around and things like that. But it's just it's not, not even with those sports. Any sport you can these days, a lot of them are very accessible, um, and it's just about going and trying out, trying stuff out, and seeing what you enjoy. And there'll be something that that clicks. And mm. I've been very fortunate to be able to do the two things that I well, as I loved as a kid, I loved sailing, I loved the Olympics, and yeah. I've managed to basically achieve both of those things. 